Please be seated. Have you not heard that it has been said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth? I tell you not to resist the wicked, but if one strikes you on the right cheek, offer the other one too. And if someone wishes to go to law with you and take your tunic, give your cloak also. And if one makes you carry a load for a mile, go for two. Give to the one who asks, and do not turn away the one who seeks to borrow from you. You have heard that it has been said, you shall love your enemy and hate your neighbor. Oops, excuse me. Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. <laughs> I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be children of God in heaven because the Holy One makes the sun rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the just and unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Don't even the tax collectors do that? And if you greet only your friends, what do you do that is more than others do? Do not even unbelievers do the same? Be perfect as your God in heaven is perfect. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Praise Praise you, Lord Jesus it's funny. I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about the Christian message that seems to get a little warped, and so I kind of warped it right there in that reading. <laughs> a couple days ago, Tom and Debbie and I went to the faith fair at uh, Sinclair Community College, and uh, on the way, we were trying to figure out how to talk about who we are. Well, we just saw a Super Bowl with an ad that Jesus gets us. You know, they've got a $50 million campaign, billions more planned, only to find out that there's, like, dark money behind this, putting forth an anti-LGBT agenda curtailing reproductive rights. I mean, Christianity is not a neutral word any longer. And so claiming that we were Christians kind of felt like there was some baggage with it. We, want, we wanted to present who we were as a community. And the language just is kind of hard to find. Tom said, well, we can say we're followers of Jesus. That's a little more neutral. And it's like painful to say that we can't claim being Christians, but there's so much spin on that. So I found myself talking to these students with like these caveats. Well, no, we don't have doctrines. We don't have dogmas. We threw away the creeds. <laughs> we don't have any property. There's no hierarchy. Uh, no, we don't have a denomination. Because we were right next to the German Baptists and they knew what they were. I got to hear all about how Jesus died for them. And then around the other corner was the Hindus, the Sikhs, 
and the Wiccan table. I mean, other traditions were Tibetan Buddhism, Jews, Muslims, Baha'is. First Baptist was there. Did I forget any? No? No? No Catholics. And then us that can't quite nail down how to describe who we are. Well, we talked about social justice, and we talked about asking the important questions, not having answers and things. So I, you know, I think we put it forth well. Every other tradition had framed pictures of their leaders on their tables. We had candy and non-binary pins. <laughs> but during all of this, Somebody did come up to me towards the end and said, you know, I've gone to every table and talked to everyone, and you're the only people who have talked about the Spirit. That, was, that really meant a lot to me. Because somehow, through all of the befuddled questions about how to say who we were, we did get across something about how the Spirit works amongst us, pushing for a new way to live. LBC is an intentional community. And what I've come to see through this exercise at Sinclair is that we are intentionally undoing most of what we were raised with. And along with that, I think we all have a kind of a certain take on these readings this morning. I think we all learned that their kind of Jesus is outlined for the true believer I mean, don't we have a Christian duty to live a certain way? I know you were raised that way. We're supposed to tithe, go to church on Sunday, give to the needy, be charitable. I mean, I could honest, celibate until marriage, or maybe longer. <laughs> be humble, pray. I mean, there's a, a laundry list that defines how we go about being a Christian. And we all learned that we could be a better Christian if we just put our shoulder to the wheel, didn't we? You know? Yeah. We just needed a little more effort and self-denial. <laughs> because discipleship is a path that includes sacrifice for its own sake. You know, we got to do this for God. Give it up. And um, Christian piety really entails us uh, detaching from our bodies. There can be no pleasure in this. You know, the Christian message isn't about pleasure. No wonder young people don't want to come near our churches. But I think we're in recovery, at least in this community. And I really do love these teachings, but after 60 years of practice, I have not scratched the surface on them. I love to hate my neighbor. I mean, honestly, it just feels so good. <laughs> I've made no progress in turning the other cheek. I still have my tunic and my cloak, and I only occasionally give someone a ride when they need it. So, so much for carrying the load. 
But I was reading a book about C.S. Lewis's understanding of Christianity. Uh, Gary Selby wrote it, Pursuing an Earthly Spirituality. Oh boy, the title alone sold me, you know, he had me at hello. Because so much of our Christian tradition emphasizes asceticism in moving away from the body, thinking our way into heaven, and we can do that with these readings that I just really wanted to hear what an earthly spirituality would look like. Now, C.S. Lewis grew up in an even more deeply ascetic tradition than we did, <clears throat> very demanding religious atmosphere that eventually resulted in him embracing atheism. He just threw it all out. But in the back of his mind, he had a nagging problem. He had had experiences of joy, and nothing could account for that. He knew it to be a full-bodied, emotion-filled, and imaginative delight. It just filled his soul with glimpses of beauty and pleasure. He would long for the joy that he had felt at different moments. That became an experience that led him to find, in this thing we call the Incarnation, his own true nature revealed. He saw that he was both nature and spirit. We all are. And Lewis came to see the Garden of Eden myth as a story of a divorce between those two things the principal fault line in human consciousness separating nature from spirit. I think we've been grappling with it throughout all of humanity. At least for sure since the Enlightenment, because that really drove the wedge, you know, because I think, therefore, I am. And from then on, there was a, a really a deepening of this division he thought it through and he came up with this, that the division of the body and spirit has two difficult consequences. And he wanted to mend those. And one was materialism that elevates only the physical. And the other was what Lewis called negative spirituality, which ignores the physical and seeks to cut ourselves off from our body and from the natural world. We're pretty cut off from that. So he wanted to find a way back to a reunion of nature and spirit. And he felt that joy was the direction because he had felt an embodied presence when he felt joy. It was his desire, his longing for joy that became the key. And that led him to rediscover his religious direction. So he identified two essential qualities involved in discipleship. Consciousness, which is growing in self-awareness. Tom talked about that last Sunday. Seeing ourselves for who we truly are. And relating more to the world around us. And seeing the presence of God in that world. And the other component was choice. 
because the ability to choose freely, he said, was the hallmark of divine love. It wasn't just doing the right thing, but doing the right thing intentionally and freely, uncoerced. How we make our choices is key. And those choices build up who we are. Expanding our self-awareness, our consciousness of others, the world, we move into choosing the will of God in a way that can only be done if it's truly free. In the end, he was looking at how we align our will to God's will. And he saw that it could only happen in absolute freedom. Too often, I've heard about God's will. And I mean, I just kind of like wince, because it feels like, hmm, that's telling me to do something I don't want to do. God's will's so big, and I, I can't measure up. So it feels like, con- I don't know, coercion. And that's part of this negative spirituality. It's the baggage we're trying to shed. So I looked at our readings and I decided, oh, can I say anything about any of them with experience? Well, I finally picked give to those who ask. You know, I, I really tried to do this. I, I took it real seriously as a kid. And I tried to give to anyone who approached me if I... You know, if I got mail asking for money, I tried to answer it. I I felt like that was the thing to do. It said, give to those who ask, and I didn't want to be the one saying no and then have to hear about that at the end of time. (laughs) (laughs) But I got compassion fatigue. And why? Because I wasn't connected to anything when I was giving. It was some kind of duty that I was, you know, I was punching out. I mean, eventually I learned to be connected to a cause, and it did bring me joy to become part of supporting something that I truly believed in. In a couple days, it's the one-year anniversary of Paul Farmer dying, who started Partners in Health. Brilliant and compassionate doctor that changed medicine in the developing world and ours for all time. And I got to support that. It made me happy to support it. Well, that's a whole different ball of wax than the duty to give. And it taught me something. You know, there has to be a connection. So now I see that it's not money so much as my attitude. Maybe giving with joy includes time and attention and space. Sometimes I need to give people space and they need to give me space. So we are a work in progress. Lewis said at the heart of all morality lies our capacity to choose. 
and our scriptures outline all kinds of choices. It's the foundation of our Western ethics. But loving our neighbor is at the heart of it all. But it's only real when it's done freely, when we choose to pay attention, to support or to include, to look out for a neighbor who is sometimes disguised as an enemy or as a minority or as a political opponent. So reaching across into the world we don't want to go into, we need to find the little ways that can move us into that. Because the big ones taken by duty, that's not going to get us there. And there's another component. Boy, Lewis really hated going to church. He said it was fourth-rate poetry set to fifth-rate music, and he didn't want to rub elbows with people who didn't have the same intellectual gifts he had. (laughs) But, yeah, it was a journey for him. So, but he put his foot in and tried, and he found out that there actually were people he enjoyed talking to, And he did like having his world opened up. So he saw it as essential for growth. We have to be in community. So every choice we make to give or not, to be present or not, builds us up into who we are. Every time we choose, we are turning a little part of us, the part that chooses, into something different than it was before. And with all of these choices in our life, we are slowly growing ourselves into something closer to Christ. Or maybe not, you know, because our choices can deliver a lesser version of who we want to be. I mean, we, we have complete freedom to do that. And we get as many do-overs as we need. There's no limit. Lewis defines sin as the refusal to follow our longing for joy. I just love that. Any substitution, you know, sex instead of making love, junk food instead of a real meal, this is the kind of stuff where we make those, um, oh, it's good enough choices. Um, I'll talk to them right now, but I don't really want to. Because if there's no connection, there's no union with the life force. And that's what this journey is leading us to, a deeper and deeper union of the life force. So wherever you are on your journey, doesn't matter. No one's keeping score. I think we should have a sign that says Christians under construction. That's like kind of as close as I can come to that term. So, you know, find your joy and follow it. You know, where is your longing? If it's beauty that attracts you, make it in your life. You know, if it's the, uh, the companionship of others, make that your life. Follow it. I think of Marie Kondo in this because I just loved how she said, if your stuff doesn't bring you joy, throw it out. 
you know, that was a whole new way for me to look at the stuff that I owned. You mean I'm supposed to have joy in this relationship because it just feels like it's weighing me down? You know, I can't get rid of that because so-and-so gave it to me and, you know, all of those, like, tag lines we have on all our possessions. But I started doing what she said, and it was easier to say, you know, it's lovely that I enjoy this because my mother-in-law owned it, and I'm going to keep it, and the rest of the stuff can go. It was a really good exercise in feeling that embodied feeling that I can be connected to physical things. I can actually love them. I can find enjoyment in them. I've spent a long time kind of like cut off from that piece of physicality. You know, I, I wasn't supposed to love my possessions, but man, I do. <laughs> Some of them. So I haven't really moved the dial on giving my tunic or my cloak, but St. Francis did. He left his clothes in a heap and walked away with his heart full of joy. So we have a model. He didn't start out there, but he got there. That gives me hope. I guess that there's been a time that I have given a cloak to my child who was cold, or my spouse, or a brother or sister. So I made a step that connected me with another. Now I just have to do the next one. It will lead me. And you've done the same. Martin Luther King Jr. showed us something about turning the other cheek. If ever we witnessed a longing for justice interwoven with the joy of connecting with God, it was how civil rights constellated within the black church experience. Our community, we are formed around LGBT awareness and allies, support, inclusion, principles that motivate us to become something else tomorrow. Maybe the newer, improved version of who we were yesterday. So we take our steps to move into our longing for justice so that God will be more present in our lives. And we, we need to do it in joy. So we are on the way, moving closer to this glory that we want to know with every little choice we make. So I'd like to invite your reflections.